0: A few months into the year, inflation remains high in major economies, so do interest rates and central banks right across the globe are tightening monetary policy. Recession alarm bells are already going off for several countries, including the United States and the United Kingdom. Meanwhile, the Silicon Valley bank collapse has raised a spectre of weakness in the financial sector. So, how is this shaping investment trends and what is the outlook for the rest of the year? I'm Jeremy Maggs, and this is No Ordinary Wednesday, it's our in-depth look at what is driving markets, shaping the economy, changing the game. To help us understand the current investment landscape, I'm joined by Investec Wealth and Investments' Ryan Friedman, along with Rian Wagner, who runs the Investec World Access range of funds that gives South African investors looking to invest offshore a global, well-diversified portfolio. Ryan and Rion, welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. And gentlemen, before we begin, I believe congratulations are in order for your Investec World Axis Cautious Fund, being named the best performing offshore global asset allocation fund at this year's Raging Bull Investment Awards. As I say, congratulations. Ryan, let me come to you first. 2022 last year was a year for the record books. Could you recap on what made it such a unique year for financial markets?
1: Yeah, so, you know, 2022 really was an extraordinary year. I think it was characterized not only by the losses we saw within asset classes, but the breadth of losses we saw across asset classes. So if you go back about 100 years, Jeremy, there have been four years since 1928 that the S&P 500 and the U.S. bond market posted negative returns together for a particular calendar year. Now, what made 2022 so extraordinary was that you have to go back approximately 150 years to the 1870s, in fact, where both bond and equity markets in the U.S. were down by more than 10% each. So that was truly extraordinary. Um, And if you think about what actually happened last year, we saw the S&P closing the calendar year down just over 18% in dollars. But the reality was at one point, there was a peak to trough loss of closer to 30%. It was about 27% uh, at its widest margin. And in fact, we've actually had three bear markets in the last four years for, for global markets. Now, that doesn't seem like it's it's been the case but it is the the reality and if you think about what happened to the nasdaq for example last year it ended a 13 year consecutive positive performance period. The Nasdaq was down 32% for the calendar year last year. So last year really was characterized by a year that ushered in extreme volatility. In fact, there were 63 trading days last year out of, you know, it's probably one, one in every four trading days where the S&P 500 was down more than 1%. So that's, that's an exceptional statistic. And if you think about bond markets, well, bond markets have been on an absolute tear for the past 25 years. Yields in the US Treasury market, the 10-year Treasury yield, were closer to 16% in the 80s, uh, and they bottomed in 2020 at 0.5% in nominal terms. So if you think about that for a second, you know you had the pleasure of lending the US government uh, money at 0.5% per annum return for 10 years, uh, and that's in nominal terms. If you're inflation-adjusted, that's that's deeply negative. So an extraordinary uh, negative drawdown year for U.S. bond markets. And then, you know, if you if you combine that with what happened in equities, because really the Fed raised rates by 425 basis points last year. So, you know, bonds were exceptionally expensive. Developed market government bonds were exceptionally expensive going into 2022. And with that backup, that sharp backup in rates, you saw significant drawdowns from government bond markets in the U.S. And that really meant that they weren't able to cushion the blow from falling equity markets. And in fact, uh, you had the worst year for a 60-40 portfolio since 1937 a truly remarkable year last year so let's thread it
0: now through to 2023 inflation stubbornly high interest rates not falling at least for now so what ryan then is your take on the current macroeconomic environment and the big question that everybody is asking is this global recession on the cards
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, a recession is so widely talked about, especially in the US, because it really makes up uh, a significant portion of economic growth around the world. And, you know, for the longest time, we've had the view that the US would be able to avoid a recession. And I think, Jeremy, uh, the reasoning or part of the reasoning thereof was the US consumer was just in such good shape. So uh, US... Uh, household balance sheets had approximately 2.3 2.4 trillion dollars of excess cash on them and that was as a result of the fiscal transfers the payments by government to households of, after the covid crisis and so if you think about the rate of interest you know there's an economic term called the equilibrium rate of interest that sounds fancy but really what it is is just the the, the fed funds rate for example in the us that would need to be achieved in order to bring equilibrium to the economic environment In other words, the rate of interest, the the Fed funds rate that is neither expansionary nor contractionary when the market is at full employment. And we always thought that rate was significantly above what the market was discounting and what the Fed was discounting. In other words, we thought that interest rates, given the health of U.S. consumers, would need to be raised significantly in order to constrict demand and constrict consumption. And I think that's proved to be true because the U.S. today is not officially in a recession. But I think the reality here is that today policy rates in the US are actually objectively tight. So the Fed funds rates at 475 or around there looking that it might head higher, depending on the environment now, you know, with SVB, uh, things have become a little bit more complicated, but policy now today is restrictive. And so we think if the Fed continues to raise rates, and that would actually be our inclination from here, uh, it is going to affect the US consumer. Uh, We know that is a significant portion of economic growth in the US and for the whole world. And ultimately, our view now, has changed we think that in the back end of 2023 or going into 2024 there is a decent chance that the us will go into recession uh, and that might cause the globe uh, to follow suit so
0: ryan against that very troubling backdrop let me ask you how you would be positioning the world access fund going forward considering the concerns that ryan has just raised about a global recession inflation interest rates etc etc
2: yeah so i think it's fair to say that we have positioned the portfolios quite conservatively especially towards risk assets and you know we believe it's appropriate given this uh, very uncertain backdrop that we find ourselves in currently you know when we look at our global equity exposure for example across the invested world access range of funds we are in fact at our lowest ever allocation to global equities Um, and this is particularly true for a couple of the portfolios Um, you know, since we started managing these funds back in 2005. Within equities, uh, we have between a 20 to 25% underweight position to the United States. Um, And this is largely based on valuation concerns, which we can unpack a little bit later. However, our exposure to global fixed income, and specifically US dollar cash, and furthermore, absolute return strategies, sits on the opposite end of the spectrum where we are running our highest ever allocation towards global fixed income assets. And, you know, today yields are at a much stronger starting point across the entire fixed income spectrum and following the rise in yields that we've seen over the last 14 months or so, you know, the return potential in bond markets now appear very compelling. And then finally, as some insurance in the multi-asset portfolios, we do have uh, an allocation to physical gold at this point in time.
0: All right, let's talk currency now. And Ryan, let me throw the ball back to you. The U.S. dollar obviously central to the global economic environment. What's your current prevailing view on the
1: dollar? So the reality about the dollar is it tends to move in kind of 10-year cycles. And we've seen an exceptionally strong dollar uh, over the past decade, uh, to the extent that the dollar's you know on a trade weighted basis it's probably up 50 to 55% uh, following the global financial crisis uh, if you think about the dollar on a, a purchasing power parity basis uh, you know a measure that people like to look at it's the strongest it's been since the plaza accords in 1985 and, and you know on all metrics the dollar uh, is really very expensive uh, relative to other uh, currencies and other trading partners. Now, if you think about when the dollar does well, it's usually during periods of US exceptionalism uh, and that's because the dollar is a counter cyclical currency. And what that means is when you've got global growth, that is broad-based uh, around the world and you know growth outside of the US is stronger than in the US, you have a weakening dollar environment. So we've had US exceptionalism for many years now. We've had a very strong dollar, a dollar that's particularly overvalued. Some of the other tailwinds for the dollar, which are now changing to headwinds, are interest rate differentials. So the US started raising rates and they raised rates aggressively. But the rest of the world, in terms of Europe and other parts of the world, are starting to catch up and actually be more aggressive on their rate-hiking cycle. So that tailwind that we've seen uh, for the dollar from interest rate differentials is now once again uh, turning into a headwing. So our view on the dollar over the medium term is that the dollar will weaken on a trade tradeweight basis. Uh, this clearly uh, has strong implications for emerging markets, for commodities uh, and other asset classes. And I think it's pretty good for our portfolio, given the underweight that Rion has just articulated within the World Access Funds. All right, so Rian, pick it up then. What then is the impact of the weakening
0: U.S. currency on funds like World Access?
2: Yeah, so weaker U.S. dollar will likely have a positive effect on the invested World Access funds, just given the fact that, uh, you know, we are underweight uh, that U.S. dollar. And by implication, it means that we are overweight other currencies like, you know, sterling or euro or even some selected emerging markets. You know, when these currencies appreciate against the greenback, Uh, This has a positive translation effect on our Investec World Access funds um, that are denominated in U.S. dollar.
0: All right, Ryan, back to you then. So let's continue talking about the uh, World Access Flexible Fund. A decision to reduce equity exposure to its lowest level this year, as we've referenced. What then is the motivation for that and the result, the consequence?
1: Yeah, so Jeremy, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I think Ryan mentioned earlier we are running the lowest equity exposure we have ever run in this fund uh, at just over 30%. To put that in context, it has been as high as 84% uh, historically, I think, in 2013-14. And so this is a dramatic move lower for us in terms of equity exposure. And for us, really, it's all about margins uh, and earnings. If you look at operating margins uh, in the US today, Jeremy, they are around 11.5%. They've come off their high a little bit, but are trading a kind of 2.5% above long-term averages. Now, uh, we think that margins are just Uh, too high given the macroeconomic environment and the prospects for negative operational leverage uh, in companies, particularly in the US, which is trading at an 18 forward multiple come down a little bit in the last few days. Uh, But what's going on here is that, you know, the bulls will tell you that operating margins can be maintained at these levels because companies will contain costs or they'll employ financial alchemy as such. But the reality is we think operating margins do come under pressure. You know, as the economy slows and we've got a, a view that the economy Uh, in the U.S. will slow materially going forward, given now that I mentioned that, you know, U.S. interest rates are objectively tight and, um, we think that will have an impact on nominal growth. We also think that has an impact on the top line revenues for U.S. companies. Now, if you come into an environment where revenues are slowing uh, faster, than costs are being cut. And remember, you've got a very tight labor market in the U.S. And so uh, that's an input to costs in the U.S. So you've got, this, you've got this environment where the rate of change of revenues is greater to the downside than the rate of change of costs. And that, that leads to negative operational gearing that is going to impact margins in the US, and that is going to impact earnings. And, and the market is just too sanguine about the prospects for earnings growth uh, in the US. Already, we can see the leading indicator for earnings has turned negative, and actual earnings typically follow suit. So we think the market is not discounting the earnings reality. Uh, we think people are too sanguine about the prospects for earnings growth. We think the market's going to get a wake up call uh, at some point this year when actual earnings come uh, under a lot more pressure than they have been historically. And that leads us really to cut equity exposure into a market that is trading on multiples that don't really justify or warrant these high levels given what we think will happen to the earnings degradation over time.
0: We'll continue this conversation in just a moment. But before that, I'd just like to remind you that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Please don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please take a moment to rate us ryan i'm going to come to you in just a moment and talk to you about emerging markets but ryan let me stay with you we are recording this conversation this edition of no ordinary wednesday after the collapse of silicon valley bank and there is talk about a potential contagion effect we've seen a similar trend emerge with signature bank republic bank what are the implications for the financial sector and perhaps more specifically for bond markets as a result of this, given that the situation is still very fluid at this
1: time. Okay. So, I mean, we've got to understand what actually happened here. SVB was a bit of a unique case in the sense that it raised significant deposits uh, at a very high clip, far above that of your traditional banks in the US, uh, you know, like a Wells Fargo or a Citi uh, or a JP Morgan, for example. So they had these massive deposits that they had taken largely from the venture capital industry. Um, and these deposits were relatively concentrated. You know, other banks are much more diversified in terms of deposits. But the point here really is what did they do with these deposits? And they took these deposits and they bought fixed income security with long durations. And the fixed income securities obviously then were repriced on a mark to market basis because obviously interest rates had gone up so much last year and into this year. And so you saw with these long duration fixed income securities, the price falling dramatically given the way interest rates had moved and the duration of these securities. So the reality is that they hadn't taken these mark-to-market losses because I think they weren't forced to until they had to sell the assets. But when they started getting a run on deposits, they were then forced to liquidate some of these positions. Uh, and that obviously created the environment that we are in today uh, and the outcome for SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. Now, the Fed has come to the rescue to some extent with its uh, bank f- term funding program uh, where they will take on the securities at par. And that ultimately means that they've stemmed the contagion to some extent, across the banking industry. Now, we do think it is relatively idiosyncratic in the sense that many of the other banks aren't sitting in the same position. I mean, just to put it in context, the securities uh, that they held were 60% of their deposit book, right? The other banks that we mentioned earlier, the large US banks, <clears throat> have much, much less uh, exposure to long-duration fixed-income assets. So we think the contagion might be relatively contained, although there is some flow through into the broader macroeconomic environment and prices for certain assets. So we've seen extreme movements uh, in the bond market, for example, short-dated treasury securities. I don't know if you saw yesterday, falling by 50 to 60 basis points. Those are fascinating moves. And really what that's telling you is that investors are starting to price in the thinking that the Fed might have come to an end in its rate-hiking cycle. We have a slightly different view in the sense that we actually think that this program that the Fed has instituted was probably put in place to be able to continue to raise rates and not put additional pressure on the banking system. So you've actually seen a bit of a tick up today uh, in the short term yields and, and a little bit of, uh, of backup in, in the long-term yields too. So we think the bond market has had these exceptional moves. We think it's probably been a little overdone in the sense that the market is now pricing out interest rate hikes from here on out. Uh, we're not sure that they're totally done, but a fascinating environment where banks have also fallen a lot. The equity prices of, of the banks uh, across the world, really, across Europe and the US have fallen a lot. The question now becomes, is this a good opportunity to buy banks? And there are both pull and push factors in this week discuss that if you like, but the reality is it's not as simple as one would suggest because I think banks are over-earning at the moment to some extent based on net interest margins uh, being very wide um, and they, they, they're they trading at very good multiples. However, the overall environment for banks, if we go into a slowdown in US economic growth, which we think we're heading to, means that you know loan book will, will shrink a little bit and profitability there might be a little bit uh, impaired. So there's push and pull factors but certainly extreme movements across fixed income markets and to some extent equity markets uh, based on what's happened with SVB and other banks in the U.S.
0: Rian, uh, let's engage on emerging markets. Are they back on the radar screens in 2023 for investors?
2: Yeah, I mean, the last 10 years were basically known as the last decade for emerging markets where you know emerging markets significantly underperformed the S&P 500. Uh, This also coincided with a period of exceptional US dollar strength, which Ryan chatted about. You know, as we know, emerging markets face numerous macroeconomic and geopolitical challenges in the the past few years. But that seems to be changing in 2023. You know, I think we expect to see a moderation in US monetary policy, you know, significantly um, the reopening of the Chinese economy following the abolishment of the zero COVID policy. Uh, That should improve sentiment. Um, and then, you know, if our view is correct and the dollar does weaken, you know, we think that also will be beneficial to emerging markets. So, you know, when you combine this with investor capitulation, a very favorable valuation dynamics and attractive risk premiums in emerging markets, uh, you know, we believe that emerging market equities are in a robust position to outperform developed markets, you know, over the next few years.
0: Rian, let me stay with you. Depending on whether or not central banks can rein in inflation this year, what, in your opinion, does this mean for the investment case for bonds?
2: Yeah, so just over two years ago, you, know, you had almost 90% of all global government bonds trading at yields below 1%. And in fact, there was over $18 trillion worth of negative yielding debt. With the normalizing of central bank policy, you know, today that is zero. And so central banks have been aggressive in their tightening of monetary policy. And today yields are as attractive as they've been, you know, in more than 15 years. And so that provides a solid foundation for forward-looking returns, given that historically strong relationship between your starting yield and subsequent medium-term returns. For example, you know, as a dollar-based investor, you can now target a higher absolute yield um, in global investment-grade bonds without even accounting, for the riskier profile of equities. The earnings yield in equities, although it has cheapened, that certainly has lagged the move higher in, in interest rates, you know, making other asset classes relatively more attractive. And so as long-term investors, we are actually in a much better place today. High yields um, tend to pave the way for higher longer-term returns.
1: Ryan, back to you, fixed income assets. Yeah, so I think uh, Rion has given a good understanding of how we think about uh, the prospect for returns in the fixed income space. I mean, the reality is that uh, long-term returns now for fixed income assets across the curve and across the credit spectrum are above their 10-year or their 20-year average even. Uh, so we like fixed income. We don't like every bucket of fixed income. Um, so for example, in the credit space, Ryan talked about investment grade credit. Uh, there's also high yield credit, also known as junk bonds. We've had an allocation to high yield in the past. And although you you are getting a good running yield on your high yield assets today. The fundamentals look okay. You know, we think that we have better options on a risk adjusted basis away from high yield. And so, just to elaborate on that point, you know, once again, a very high running yield for high yield in the US um, and globally, really. But the reality is that if we do enter into this growth slowdown environment or into even a mild recession, uh, a lot of these issuers in the high yield space uh, will come under earnings pressure, um, and you will see. Uh, that spreads will, will widen in the high yield space, most likely, coupled with the fact that long term default rates in high yield are 4 to 4.5%, and currently they're running at around 1.9 or 2%. So we think there'll be a tick up in defaults. We think there'll be some spread widening in a recessionary environment. And despite uh, relatively decent fundamentals from a balance sheet perspective um, and you know, leverage ratios and coverage ratios of many of these companies, we, we're staying away from high yield and focusing on other. F- Uh, areas of the fixed income market. So in
0: conclusion then, Ryan, what are some of the investment trends that you are expecting to see in the market over the next uh, couple of months and as we go through 2023?
1: Yeah, so we are defensively positioned at this point in time. We think that equities, particularly in the US, are overvalued. Uh, They have significant earnings and margin risk. Uh, We don't think the market is paying enough attention to this. We think there's downside for US equities. The environment is opaque. Uh, You've got an environment where the Fed is raising rates. If you look at money supply, for example, on a year on year basis, it's negative. For the first time since they recorded data in 1959, you've got quantitative tightening taking place and you've got global liquidity drying up to some extent. And so, we think that equities um, aren't providing sufficient cushion in developed markets in the main, but most particularly in the US. Uh, I suppose it's mainly the US. Uh, Europe looks cheaper, and so does Japan to some extent. Uh, but equities uh, aren't providing the sufficient uh, cushion of premium that we we would like to see from those markets. So we think there is downside to US equities. Uh, that being said, there will be a good buying, uh, attractive buying point for equities it's at some point late in the year, we feel um, there's no massive economic imbalances, and so once we have this price adjustment that we're expecting to take place, especially as the market starts to discount the greater probability of a recession, we will be looking to, to upweight our equity exposure, and that's the beauty about uh, in our process, is that we, we, we buy daily dealing funds, very liquid investments, uh, and we can change up the asset allocation quite quickly. Within equities, there are pockets of value, Rion has mentioned emerging markets, equity Risk premiums, they're trading close to their COVID highs around 800 basis points. They are cheap policies working in their favor. They're going to start cutting interest rates, which will be a tailwind for emerging market equities. And we think the dollar in the currency markets is likely to weaken over the medium term. And then across fixed income markets, just to sum up, we are finding very attractive yields across the curve and to some extent across the credit spectrum. Uh, and, uh, you know, these are some of the best yields we have seen in 15 plus years. So very overweight, fixed income, underweight equities as we travel. Uh, into 2023 and look for a much better entry point uh, into equities later on the year, but understanding that there are pockets of value outside of the US. Gentlemen, to extend the
0: well-known metaphor, that wasn't just a food for thought. It really was a feast for thought. Ryan Friedman, Ryan Wagner, thank you very much for joining me on this edition of No Ordinary Wednesday. Please join us again in a fortnight as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Mags, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers and long-term insurer.